Welcome to the Impel 4 Podcast. Today we have a special treat for you. Today we have Basha Coppage. She has an interesting story. Um, I met her through one of my customers. Uh, I called her just to see if I can go talk at the Boys and Girls Club. And telling her my story, she told me her story. And I was riding, and I just said, I'm going to call her back and let me see if she wants to come on on the podcast. And here we are today. So I'm your host, Leon, and this is my co-host, John. And here we have Basia Coppage. Basia, now tell us a little bit about your story. Where are you from? I am from New Haven, Connecticut. Connecticut. Way up north. Up north? Yes, way up north. Now, how did you get to North Carolina? Uh, I was back then. I was born in the seventies, uh-huh. and um, I went into foster care. Okay. And back then, foster care they didn't keep you local, mm-hmm. so me and my brother were kind of separated, and I ended all the way up in North Carolina. Mm. That's how I ended up here. Okay, what part? Um, in a little town called Red Oak. Red Oak. Yes. It's like toward right Rocky Mountain. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Two five two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got gotcha. you. Now, what, what, how, what, what led you there? Um, there was a family there, um, a Caucasian family, actually, okay. that um, said they would take me in, and I lived there for a while okay. before I was sent somewhere else. Okay, now, when you, told me, when you first told me that, I didn't know it was a Caucasian family. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, so um, now, you told me that you were involved in a, so, uh, an armed robbery yes. and a murder charge. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how did that about um after family after family so mm-hmm. i lived with the caucasian family for a while mm-hmm. um and then i went some other families and then some other families mm-hmm. and foster care you know you're shipped here and shipped there right um i didn't do all the right things mm-hmm. my mom actually ended up in prison my mom was in prison for a homicide actually yeah. she went to a place called women's fountain center it's in Edgecombe County because my mom ended up in North Carolina as well. Okay. Um, some family members were attempting to get my mom's life in order. Mm-hmm. But in the city, she was addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. And it was big back then. Oh, it was right, way right. before crack and other drugs. Right. Um, and she ended up here in North Carolina and she committed a homicide mm-hmm. over um, in Rocky Mount, a place called Happy Hill. She killed a guy. Um, long story short... I kind of started hanging with the wrong crowd, mm-hmm. bunch of guys. It was a guy, he was a Jamaican guy, and uh, they called him Jamaican B. He's passed away now. Right. But he uh, came up with what he thought was a brilliant idea, is to have a little girl, which is me, carry his dope for him. Mm. Because what police officer and what cop would search a little girl? And here I am with ponytails mm. and pigtails, mm. so I look like a little Kid carrying right. a backpack, which was full of dope. You knew what you were carrying? I did. Mm. I knew. I knew what I was carrying, and he would give me like a little bit of cash, right. and uh, it was candy mm. money, basically. But I'm pretty sure the money that he was making was way more than candy money. Right, right. Yeah. And I did that all the way across town on, on foot, mm. back and forth, back and forth. Um, and I did this for a very long time, a long time. So when I turned 13 years old... Oh, wait, I was, so you was doing it before 13? I was. I started doing this in 10. Oh, wow. I was 10. That's just... Mm. Yes. Pretty young to be in the game like that. It, yes. And it was a gang, but at 10 years old, I, I didn't know I didn't it was a know. gang. Right. 
I thought, you know, this was my, um, what I call is like family. Mm-hmm. When you don't have an actual family. Yeah. And all my friends had mom and dad and aunts and uncles. And here I am going from one, what I call dirty house, to another dirty house. And then another dirty house and in the system. And I kind of got lost in the system, I guess. Right. Did you have any brothers or sisters? I had my brother. Your brother. And my brother was... Um, somewhere else, I had no idea, no contact with my brothers, just the two of us. He's four years older than I am. Okay. So what, what, what led to your incarceration? What, what, how did you, how did y'all, if he was selling dope, how did y'all end up at the store? So, um, he had this little Honda Accord, raggedest thing you ever seen in your Mm -hmm. life. And he would drive this thing around and if you open the trunk, the trunk would be full of dope. And I was about 13 years old at the time, and um, we were supposed to just go to a convenience store to get some of the guys was talking about getting black and miles, and back then it was a thing called Cisco's, and they wanted to drink, and I happened to be in the car, and I was in the back seat. Mm -hmm. So in all, it was five of us. It was two guys sitting on the side of me, and it was me, and then it was two guys in the front seat, and we pulled up to a store. The store was a store called Asso. Um, it was a store with, um, they were from somewhere else, kind of like refugees. At the time, it was big. They started opening up these corner stores, and we call them Arabic now. Um, and they went inside of the store. So everybody went inside of that store but me. I actually sat in the car. Had no idea what was going on, what was going to transpire. Um, I did hear um, one shot. I heard one shot rang out. It was very loud. I'll never forget it. And everybody just come running out of the store. Well, the driver jumped in the car, and he took off so fast that one of the guys was actually drugged trying to jump into the back seat. And that's the guy that he ended up getting caught. And, of course, if one person get caught, you know, everybody's going to get caught. Well, I had no idea what happened in that store because everybody's yelling uh, back and forth at each other in this car. We keep straight and we go all the way down to what's called a stockyard mm-hmm. where they sell multiple items and different stuff like that. And he wants to ditch the car. Mm-hmm. And basically everybody just bails out of the car. And I'm not sure exactly what happened. So I go back to, at the time, I was with another family. And I go back to that house not thinking, you know, my heart is beating fast. And I'm like, I don't know what just happened. Right. Well, what actually happened is they go inside of the store to rob that store. It was not to buy any items inside of that store. At that time, the Arabic community would have their children working behind the counter. And the guy attempts to rob the older brother of the Arabic child, which was nine years old, and a shot was fired and it hit the nine-year-old in the forehead Mm. and killed him instantly. And you were not privy to this plan when you when y'all pulled up to the store. No, not at all, not at all. But the law mm. right. says, right. Um, since I was in a company of everybody and you're in the car, which is considered a getaway car, and if you stay and remain inside of that car, and there's a crime that's committed, such as that type of felony, you will be charged. And I was charged with the exact same thing. But did the lawyer argue that you are a little girl, of you course. did not know what was going on as far as this robbery that was being committed? It did. But prior to that, I did have some run-ins. And I think 
those priors, different things that I had, really, yes, it was it was seen as something negative okay. um, right. towards me. And I was sentenced, um, not a long time, but to me, I'm 13 years old. It was a long time to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A one very is, long time. One day is a long time for anybody. Of course. Yeah, who would never been in it. It is. Right. So how, how would you end up doing? I went to what was called a reform school at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I think they called Summerkin. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. It's Some, up in the Samarkand. Samarkand. <laughs> That's what it is. And yeah. it's in the mountains. Um, I went there, and it was basically for, back then, it was for the worst of the worst mm-hmm. children. Right. Murder, convictions, right. um, assaults, right. all kinds of stuff, and drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. And I went inside of there, and I think being in there, really, really changed my life. Right. In the beginning, it was tough because I went in there and I thought I had to be tough. Right. And um, I didn't know tough until I went inside of there. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, was, it, was, it was hard. Right. It was hard to stay out of trouble because uh, I thought I had to have that same appearance from the street. Right. And that's basically all I did was just ran up and down the street all times of the night and follow any rules. And I went in there and I did three years, three years in there. Probably would have been a little bit shorter, but I didn't stay out of trouble in there as much either. So I did meet a lady while I was in there, and um, this lady introduced me to music, which was, you know, as a first. She introduced me to a piano, Mm -hmm. and I've never played a piano before, never done anything like that before. And um, I started playing a piano and getting to know music, and then she introduced me to a guitar, and then she introduced me wait, to. Wait, wait. So you're, oh yeah, you're a musician too. I am. <laughs> so you do it all. I am. So how many instruments do you play? I actually play f- five. Wow. Wow. Yes, saxophone, um, and I teach that. I teach that music okay. now. Okay. So after you got out of training school, what what was your life like then? What where did you go? End up? Um, my grandmother at the time, my actual my mom's mom, mm-hmm. she's always been always been sick with. Uh, congestional heart failure. Mm -hmm. And social services always said that she was not strong enough to take care of me. That's why I didn't end up with that one family member. Even though I had a lot of family members, my mom had six brothers. She's the only girl. Mm -hmm. But no brothers could take in a little girl because they had sons, Mm -hmm. and they thought it would be an issue. But my grandmother never stopped fighting for me, and she fought and fought. And when I got out, that's where I went is with my grandmother, and she was still sick at the time, right. um, very frail, on medication, um, went to church a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of churches and a lot of stuff like that, of course. A lot of people, grandmothers, exactly. church. All, all yeah. of us, all of so I ended up with my grandmother. Okay. And at what age at that time? I was going on 17. All right. Mm-hmm. And so you, did you finish school while you were incarcerated? I had to, yes. So I went in uh, when I went in... Um, basically, I was so far behind, even though I was 13, but I was at the grade level of maybe third grade, maybe, as far as reading, as far as math. And, of course, looking back at that, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I didn't go to school. Yeah, you didn't go to school. <laughs> I didn't go to school. around a lot. You know, oh, no, I was everywhere, yeah. skipping, doing all kinds of stuff. Right, right, right. And it was a surprise to a lot of people. A lot, a lot of people was very surprised that here was this little girl. Mm-hmm. You know, convicted of murder of a child, and I was a child. Right. 
So a lot of people were surprised. So what was, what did you, uh, what was your first job when you came home? Did you get a job? Or I did anything? not. I didn't get a job. Um, even though I was living with my grandmother, it was still in a, what we call a questionable uh, neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was really hard for me not to go back out into the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that really kept me from going back out into the street was Judge Sarah Patterson. She was the judge that sentenced me. And the whole time that I was in the reform school, she kept in contact with me, personal contact. She would actually come out and visit, but she would want to see me personally. And every time she came, I would tell her I need to show her something on the piano. And, mm-hmm. you know, I couldn't do much, but I did a little bit on the piano. And that's above and beyond. She didn't have to do that. She did not. And, and you would argue that had it not been for that, you might have gone left when you got out. I would have. I would have. And um, I've never heard of that happening since. I've never heard of an actual judge yeah, I've never or an uh, attorney or anybody keeping up or following uh-huh. a child throughout life. And that's basically what she did until she passed away. Well, you know, Lee, that's, that speaks to that power of mentorship. Right, right. I know in a previous episode I asked you about when you went to visit mm-hmm. um, Basia at the club. You know, would your visit have a lasting impact? Right. And what she's saying is that yeah, that stuff matters. Yeah, it, it does. Matters. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, okay, so you say you didn't get a job. So what did you do? Um, trying to stay out of trouble. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was hard enough. That's uh, almost a full time job. Uh-huh. Um, I ended up. I got a boyfriend uh-uh. uh, during that time, and right. I was so in love. Right. Oh, I was yeah. so in love, and you know, my grandmother being in church. She's uh, basically, she was holiness, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's pretty strict. Right. You got to get married right away. He won't come in by the house then, was he? <laughs> Boy, it's called uh, Coton. Yeah, yeah, that's not, what she not called. Not courting, Coton. but what? Coton. Yes, that's right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Coton mm-hmm. his house, mm-hmm. and you know, grandma's sitting right there, and right. I got married when I was 18. Oh, wow. I did. I got married when I was 18 I years old. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, I knew I wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to do something mm-hmm. with my life. And during this time, here's Judge uh, Sarah Patterson on Thanksgiving, Christmases. I became so close with her family and her two dogs that right. she, <laughs> that was her babies. Right. And here she is. She's an old lady now. Mm. She's old. You still keep up with her? She passed away. Uh. She passed away. Um, she was actually the oldest judge. And she was, mm. when she passed away, she was 90. She was like 90 years old okay. when she passed away. Oh, you were saying she was old at that time. She was a lot older. Okay. Here I was sentenced when I, she was older when I was sentenced. I see. And then here you go, years and all these years passing by. So, yeah, she was old and, and frail, but still the sweetest person I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was a Caucasian lady. Hmm. You know? I keep forgetting that. Yes. I keep, I keep pitching the old... Black grandma. No, but I, I keep no. gray hair and, and gray hair and all. Mm-hmm. Kept up with me all those years. And then, you know, when she used to come over and I, I would tell her, hey, I need to show you something. And by that time, I was real good at piano then. Mm-hmm. I wait was minute, doing really good. So she was Caucasian too? Judge. She was Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And you're the mother, uh, lady who brought you in? Or she's the lady who brought you in? No, she wasn't. She was just a judge. She was a judge that sentenced me. Okay, so both of them were Caucasian. Yes, the oh. family that I was oh, okay. with. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, was a Caucasian family. Mm. Yes. Now I do keep up with uh, that family as well. Mm-hmm. Their son, which is Matthew, is like my brother, mm-hmm. and I, I still keep up with him. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of them, 
uh, you know, that's in question. <laughs> it was a little different mm -hmm. okay. living with a family that's not my race. Right. Yeah. You know, it was a little different. Okay. So what? What? So for work, back back again for work. What did you do? I mean, you had to end up doing something. Yeah, I did. Money and living. I did. Mm -hmm. Cause I got married. Uh -huh. Didn't 18. know what I was doing. All right. Didn't know anything like that. So you didn't stay married long. Uh, I stayed married for 13 years. Oh, wow. I did. Okay. I stayed married for 13 years. Mm -hmm. um, we got a divorce. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to do something as far as helping. Mm -hmm. Now, growing up, all I saw was cops. Right. I was even ducking, running from them. Mm -hmm. It was something. It was police all the time. I had an encounter almost on an everyday basis. Mm -hmm. When they said run, and we were sitting in the park at night, mm -hmm. you had run jumping over ditches and with that backpack. I kept that backpack. I wouldn't let that backpack go nowhere. I knew the consequences of that. Right. And um, I wanted to be a cop. Mm. And everybody was <laughs> in that area, in that neighborhood, was like, don't you dare. Right. You know, I know you've lost your mind. Mm. I wanted to be a police officer. I really wanted to help. Mm -hmm. Someone help me. Yeah. Right. And they didn't have to. Or I, I, pro I there's no telling. Right. I'm telling what I would have done. Right. It was just, it was too easy. Mm. It was so, easy money. So at the time, how old were you when you attempted to, you know, go to law enforcement? Nineteen, because you can actually do your application and go through the whole process at age twenty. Right. And finally, once you turn twenty-one, that's where you can carry a gun. Okay. Oh wow. And uh, I tried that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I turned twenty years old, mm -hmm. and I was rejected. Because of the crime. Mm. Yes, my mom. Charge. Yeah. You said my mom, mom too. Yeah, mom. Oh, yes. My oh, so. mom had moved to that area. Mm -hmm. So my mom was known then as a local crackhead oh, okay. in that city. And it's a pretty big city. Rocky Mountain is a pretty nice-sized city. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of crime. But there's my mom there, so she's out. Mm -hmm. She had gotten out, and she's she moved to that area and then started smoking crack. Mm -hmm. No heroin anymore. Mm -hmm. No more heroin. So mm -hmm. she was known as a local crackhead. So prison... Did my mom uh, didn't do her any good at right. all? Right. But what does what does her lifestyle have to do with you joining the police force? Being rejected. Um. Yeah. Because my mom was well known. My mom was known as a biter, mm -hmm. and that's how my mom was known. She was known as the person that if you encounter her or you try to arrest Martha, she will bite you. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge thing because police officers were afraid of HIV. Mm -hmm. They were afraid of different things, so they would mm -hmm. spray her or either hit her with an aspartame. She had a reputation. And when I got into the police department, I spoke with um, one of the sergeants, mm -hmm. which was in recruitment. And when I gave him my last name, mm -hmm. which is pretty unique, he asked me, did I know her? And right. that's when everything changed. Mm -hmm. I was so embarrassed to say that was my mom. Wow. I was embarrassed. Wow. So your record, your record would not have kept you out of the force. It would not have. It's not supposed to. It's supposed to be sealed. Okay. Because you um, were young. I was. I was a juvenile. Okay. And that's up under the juvenile law. Right. Um, right. But that doesn't mean they cannot hold that against you, mm -hmm. um, even though that's sealed. Right. Mm -hmm. So I kind of I walked out of there that day. I was disappointed. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm trying to do the right thing. Here I am. I'm really trying to do the right thing and making it impossible. And I went back and I talked to my grandmother, and um, she told me to fight it. Right. And I did. 
I had to get a lawyer. Hmm. I had to go and see a lawyer. Right. And I went to go see Tucker and Tucker. I'll never forget <laughs> it. I did. Hmm. I went to see uh, Mr. Tucker, and um, he asked me, was I serious about it? And I told him I was very serious. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, there's no way you can prove that there's any type of discrimination. But I could. I could prove that it was some type of discrimination. Uh -oh. I mean, why, why, why did he think that you couldn't prove it if, if you well, because uh, all they have to do is say, uh, no, she right. just didn't uh, fit the qualifications right. in some type of way. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have, it's North Carolina, they don't right. have to right. mm -hmm. hire you. You really don't have to give you a reason. Just, yeah, yeah. So, period. Yeah. yeah. And he, he said, well, go ahead. So um, he told me to return, to go mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. and speak to the person that's in charge. And that was, um, that was Lieutenant Gudak at the time. He was in charge of all recruitment. Mm -hmm. And I went back and I spoke with uh, Gudak. And he told me to, to mention his name, yeah. that I had gotten a lawyer. Mm. And I did that. Mm. And uh, attitudes start changing. Huh. Things start changing. Mm -hmm. You know, it took me a little bit more serious then, but I don't think they thought I was going to make it through. We're talking All about right. Rocky Mount PD at the time. I only had one black female in the police department of 150 officers. Okay. And I would have been the second. Yeah, they probably thought you was playing games. Probably series. thought. Like maybe they mm -hmm. thought I was like my mom, I guess. I don't know. All right. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know the reasoning behind so that. So you, you worked around the city as a regular police officer? I did. Car and all that. Mm -hmm. I went on through uh, BLET, basic law enforcement training, mm -hmm. and uh, I did great in my class. Um, and I was what they call a uniform officer, just riding in a car, basically, and solving cases. And they gave me... Uh, Area 17, which is the same exact. Mm. So I had to ride past that store, the Asso store. Oh, I had to ride man. past that store every single day. Wow. Every day. I responded to that store all day. Did you always think about what happened? Yeah, I did. I did, and it was hard. No it was oh, uh, yeah. no way around it. <laughs> yeah. But it was really hard. I never, I really didn't want to go inside. I always, when I pulled up, I always said, I don't want to go in there. Didn't want to go in there. It caused me some type of anxiety. I felt like I couldn't breathe. And yeah. it just didn't, you know, it, everything changed pulling up to that store. Yeah, because you physically. Were, you're not on the other side. Right. You know. Right. Wow. Not only on the other side, mm -hmm. but here we go with some of those same people that still live in that same neighborhood. And here I am and oh, I'm in yeah. a blue and gold That's uniform mm -hmm. with you know, with a badge on now, and I have to face these people right. and look at these people. Did that family still own the store? The family did, but but it was passed down, yeah. actually, from the dad, that same son, and then, you know, the cousins and different ones. But, yeah, it was the same family. And did you talk to any of them? Or mm, did I did uh, not. Okay. I yeah. didn't. I guess that probably was a smart thing. I think that was the best thing. <laughs> right, right. But another person I had an encounter riding around was my mom. Oh, wow. Yes. You had to pick up your mom? I was not allowed to. It's called conflict of interest. I can, yeah, I can see that. So, but I didn't want to tell all my fellow officers that was my mom because mm -hmm. they used to talk about her in uh, shift change. Mm -hmm. So imagine sitting in a room. There's 50 officers in a room. They're giving you your duties for that day and telling you your area that you go inside of, and then you hear chatter about Martha B., that was basically my mom's like street name was Martha B. And they were talking about uh, one of the officers was saying, yeah, you let her, if she if she thinks she's going to do such and such and such, I'm going to hit her. And then he would start 
acting right. it out of what he was going to do with his ass baton. And here I am listening. And then that's my mom, but I'm they keeping know. that a secret. Okay, so they didn't know that was your mom. No, some of the higher up knew that was my mom, like Gudak, he knew that was my mom. And then Rosenthal, the sergeant that I approached in the beginning and asked me the question, Uh they knew. But the street officers were not in the loop. They had no clue. Was it hurtful to sit there and listen to that? Of course, of course. You know, this is all the time. My mom was well known. She would fight a cop. She would fight a cop. So So you had something of a relationship with your mom then? Uh, I wouldn't call it a relationship. I never, I didn't grow up around my mom, so I didn't have that mom-daughter connection. Mm-hmm. It felt like it's a lady I knew. That's so, basically how it felt. Like, I know this, this lady that I know. I know this is my mom, mm-hmm. but looking at my mom, here I am. I pull up on my mom and get a 911 call of a lady that has a weapon. And the weapon is a beer bottle, basically. My mom would hit a beer bottle on the ground and start threatening people. Mm-hmm. And it was basically at what they call a trap house now. But back then, it was a liquor house. Yeah. And I would respond. Well, when I respond, responded, I knew other officers were going to come along as well. So I would kind of approach her before any other officer I was gonna ask got you, there. Did she ever see you? When you oh, were... yes. Okay. Yeah, she made a whole... Just a whole scene. Right. There go my baby. Mm. And then she said, let me get $20. You know, so it was that whole, when you think of what we call crackhead, she had it all of it. She no teeth, mm. mouth. And it was it was so embarrassing. And I knew other, I can hear sirens in the background coming, and I had to hurry up. Mm-hmm. You know, I approached her. And my mom stopped. Like, what are you doing? Go home. You can so, go to jail. So she never said to the officers when you were out of sight, y'all know my daughter works with y'all. Well, as soon as those officers approached that scene, yeah. I handed it off. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying she on her own didn't just say. She didn't. She didn't. Mm-hmm. No, maybe she was mumbling stuff. Mm-hmm. But here she's a crackhead. Like, I'm thinking, they're not going to believe her anyway. Well, fair point. Maybe mm-hmm. they, you know, they know her. So how's she now? How's she doing now? My mom is very, very sickly. Um, I do take care of my mom right now. Oh, okay. My mom is 70 years old. And uh, she's a whole, she's a different person because she did what's called aged. She aged out. Mm-hmm. She aged out of that foolishness. Mm-hmm. And then all those years of heroin, all those years of crack caused my mom some serious health problems. So my mom is very, very sick. And mm-hmm. in the next three to four months, she will be going on hospice. Oh, wow. Sorry yes. to hear that. Mm. Well, you're a good daughter to be doing what you're doing for, for sure. Oh, yes. I wouldn't see it any other way, but me years ago, I don't know. So don't what, know. What, what, changed, what changed to give you that kind of heart now? Grandmother passed away. And before she passed away, we had a real serious heart to heart. And she told me that I needed to take care of my mom. And I'm thinking, I put my mom in rehab 27 times. Boy. 27 times I, I had my mom um, committed, IVC'd. I proved that she was a danger to other people and herself. That wasn't hard to prove. Mm-hmm. She was assaulting police officers. Um, eventually, they did find out. They did find out. And uh, I will never forget that day that I had to tell a sergeant that that was my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, it was hard for me in that police department. Very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Really hard. From what perspective? I don't feel like they had my back. I felt like I was kind of left out there. The jokes never stopped. It was so many jokes every 
every time it was like a joke. And then when yeah. I would get upset, they would say, stop whining. Because I would have thought that would have humanized it. If you had came out to them earlier and said, hey, my mom is Martha B., maybe they would have backed down a little bit and showed some mm-hmm. compassion. I want to be realistic about it. Okay. Police officers, no compassion. That's not compassion. You can't. You can't. You can't make a blanket statement. Ah, I can. I worked it. I worked it for years and years and years, and I know how it goes. I know how it goes. We want to thank all police officers, and you know they don't have that, but. They have to make a name for themselves. You're not a cop if not you don't have a no, name. No, no. Not all you, of them. You were a police officer. And I probably like, would have shown like some compassion, yeah, yeah. but behind closed doors, I probably would have been like, hey, that's Crackhead. I was, you know, mm-hmm. they couldn't right. name her, call her by name. Right. She was still known as Crackhead, mm-hmm. Crackhead B, you know, right. the biter. She was still known as, but the jokes, it was just the jokes. Right. And they right. said it was a joke, but. Enough was enough. It was a lie. You're tired of hearing it. I got tired. I'm like, I already know. You're telling me something I don't know. Right. I know my mom's on drugs. I understand. So how long did you stay at, at that police department? After they found out? Six more months. Oh, wow. There was a sergeant position in um, Nash County, and uh, I applied for it, and I got it. Hmm. So what was, the, what was the total of the years you were there? 20, was it? well, Before it was in all 15 years. 15 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. 15 years in the police department, not mm-hmm. Rocky Mount, but... Yeah. Doing law enforcement. Okay. Um, and then I went on to work uh, Department of Homeland Security. Okay. I did. From 13, being incarcerated, mm-hmm. well, sexually to murder. Yes. To working in law enforcement. Wow. Big gap. Okay. Yeah. That's, so what, how long did you stay with uh, Homeland Security? Until um, they offered me. So it was still considered a form of law enforcement. I was a behavior detection officer. Mm-hmm. I had opportunities to go to every single Super Bowl and uh, <laughs> for free. Uh, I got a chance to work with Secret Service. I did have to go to school, back to school. I wanted to do something with law enforcement, but on a higher scale. Um, I was kind of tired of chasing crackheads and responding to homicides. So I said, you know, what else can I do in law enforcement? And then. One of the officers, an uh, officer told me, why don't you look into Department of Homeland Security? Mm-hmm. You would have to go away for a while, and I did. I went away. And uh, I trained to be a behavior detection officer. Pretty much, I'm the, I was the officer that, when questioned, I would basically stand there, watch mm-hmm. behaviors, watch all these indicators, and tell the person who's doing the interrogation and the questioning if you were telling the truth or not. Mm-hmm. If, if we can rewind just a little bit, mm-hmm. because... Your story is one where you could have made an excuse to say, I had this rough childhood. I have a reason to wild right. out for the rest of my life. But you got on track and got your stuff together. I did. Can anybody do that? I feel like with the right support system, you have to have that support system. I work with children now, and this is that's the reason. That's the only reason I am where I am. I currently have the largest teen center in the state. Um, for a reason. Um, I program with these kids, but a lot of the kids' stories are pretty similar. And we're talking about kids' derm, and their their stories are similar. Mom, dad is on drugs or incarcerated, and you can hear the excuses. You know, I I can't make straight A's, Miss B. Uh, My mom, my mom is not there for me, and I don't have this, so I really feel like you need that support system. You need the community. 
you need these things in order. If you don't have it, it's very hard. It makes it very difficult. All right. Go ahead, Lee. How did you get there to the Boys and Girls Club after you retired from law enforcement? What, what no, I was still. I went oh, to the. Mm -hmm, I went okay. to the Boys and Girls Club way before. Um, I had an incident mm -hmm. of a 13 year old boy that um, I used to chase this kid, and I think I chased him for fun. I did. I was a cop, and it was a thing. We like to run. Cops like to run. You know, I'm gonna mm -hmm. see. It's like cat and mouse. I'm gonna see if you if you run from me, if I can catch you, mm -hmm. and then you go back to the police department. You brag about it, and that's basically how it goes. Mm -hmm. Hey, that guy's fast, but I called him. You know, and it's a thing. It's like right. bragging rights. Mm -hmm. Sounds dangerous because you don't know what that 13 year old kid might be carrying. Right. Well, you're right. And um, at the time, I was a juvenile officer. It's a special position. And not a lot of officers make juvenile officers because they hate it. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to do it. You know, who wanted to deal with someone else's kid? Mm -hmm. Teenagers? It's hard. It's hard. They're all over the place. Right. Attitudes, all kinds of stuff, all over the place. And I became a juvenile officer. I thought it was a punishment from my chief. <laughs> I thought I'd done something wrong. And um, this 13-year-old did not want to go to school. And as a juvenile officer, your job is to find them. Put them in the car, take them to school. And that's basically what I had to do all day. And they would run from you. And mm -hmm. I would chase them all over the city. And just, that's my day, mm -hmm. 12 hours mm -hmm. of doing that all day long. Any juvenile crimes, I would respond. Mm -hmm. Juvenile is a law. Juvenile law is a law of its own. It's completely different. Even though I went through all that stuff as a kid, mm -hmm. I kind of, um, I got it. I fixed my life. And I mm -hmm. felt like, oh, it's up to whoever that kid's parent is to fix his life. That's not my issue, mm -hmm. you know. Sometimes it takes a while for that change right. to fully, fully kick in. Mm -hmm. And I'm being honest about it, you know, because some people lie to themselves and mm -hmm. they, they, they lie, mm -hmm. you know. And I can't afford to do that because based on the work that I do now, mm -hmm. I have to be honest. Right. It was a time where I, I didn't really care. I didn't care. I was good. Right. I was making money. I was doing the right thing. I had a pretty nice house. I was living in a nice neighborhood finally. Right. That kid was not my issue, not my problem. Somebody's mom failed him, and now here they are not going to school. Well, I chased this kid and chased him through grocery stores. He would always go to the grocery store and steal, and the manager would call me at the grocery store and um, say, this kid is back in here again, and mm -hmm. I would go and kind of sneak up on him and tiptoe on aisle seven, always aisle seven. What was on aisle seven? <laughs> I found that out later. <laughs> well, Always aisle seven. Aisle seven. Yes. I mean, but like, what was what what, what was the kid buying on aisle seven or trying to shoplift on aisle well, seven? Well, I found that out later, but <laughs> when I found that out, it was too late. What was it? Food. Mm. I never thought about it. Mm. I passed right by it and just I stopped mm. in the midway of the aisle, and he was kind of the end of the aisle, and mm. we stared at each other and gave gave each other that dead stare. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna catch you today. And he's thinking, no, you're not. And he would take off, hit the corner, and run. And I would chase him. I would got him right when he right before mm -hmm. checkout. Hmm. Grab him by the back of the shirt, snatch him down, pull him down, put him in handcuffs. I almost got an applause. It was weird. It was a weird, mm. euphoric feeling. You know, I felt like I achieved something. I, I got this kid. And then the manager, he's, mm -hmm. he's standing back, and he's like, yeah. So dealing, that officer. dealing with this kid, is that what led you to want to 
work with boys and girls, younger teens? Or? Identifying this kid in a body bag caused me oh, wow. to want to. Mm. I went through some changes after that. I mm. mean, some really some mental stuff. Mm. I had to see somebody. Um, the person I was working with, I had a partner after that, and we would respond. I wasn't a juvenile officer anymore. I only had to do a year, and I was like, I can't do this position mm -hmm. anymore. It was very, very hard after that. I got a call in the middle of the night. Here I am at home. I've worked my shift, did my time, call you in the middle of the night and say, hey, we got a juvenile case, can't be identified. We know you know all kids. I knew every kid in the whole entire city. Right. They knew me. And I get there. I don't want to be there. I go up under the yellow tape, which is crime scene tape. And I'm thinking, woo, somebody really got God today. Mm -hmm. And um, they unzipped it. And they like, you know this kid? And I knew him right away. Boy. Right. Oh, right away, immediately. And I don't know what happened to me. Mm -hmm. Leon, something, mm -hmm. something happened right there. So in a sense, he, he was the reason that you... He was the reason Went to the because boy and girl club. I didn't have to lose him. Mm. I lost him because I chose to lose him. That's what happened. Mm. I could have what happened all those times he was in my back seat. I just I couldn't I put him in the back seat and put him in cuffs and I take him home. And his mom, here she comes. She had these rollers in her hair and stuff, and she was screaming and yelling at me. You know, what I'm supposed to do with him? He just like his daddy. He's sorry. Mm. And he was listening, he was hearing all this. And I'm like, yeah, take your kid. You did this. This is your mess. Take your kid. You don't have anything better to do. And then I get back in my car and I go eat okay. Chinese food. The mm -hmm. best Chinese food ever. I just sit down and eat. So you're saying what? You should have been Judge Patterson to that kid. I, I should have been. Hmm. I should have. I had too much time to spend with him, if you think about it. Right. I spent most of the time with him. I would take him to school. And they would say, he hadn't been a student here in so long. We don't know what to do with him. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with him? Put him in my car, wait for somebody to get home. I had time. On aisle seven, mm. I had time to look at what he was taking. Your I life, didn't know he was hungry. Your life is a movie. <laughs> I'm seeing him picture. Well, <laughs> not so much of a good movie. You know, well, I had it's so inspirational. many. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because I've made, I've made the best out of it. Right. And I feel like now, I got to say these kids. I'm not there to keep them and babysit them, and they know that every single day. I yell out every day, why am I here? And they all yell back. We talk about 45 to 50 kids yell back to save our lives. Hmm. It's very powerful because I can't lose them like I lost this kid. I had to knock on that door that one more time. I had to do the death notification. Hmm. And when I knock on the door, she snatches it open with those rollers, hmm. and she's yelling at me already. Hmm. Trying to look around me in the back seat of that car. But mm -hmm. this time, I'm not going to mm -hmm. open that door for your kid. Your mm -hmm. kid is gone. Mm -hmm. And the reaction, her reaction was, I, I've never, I've done death notifications before, but her reaction was, it just changed me completely. Mm -hmm. It changed me. I had to take some time off because my partner was saying I was going overboard with some of my calls, and they, they didn't like it. I was overdoing it with mm -hmm. some stuff. And I was kind of going through some things. Yeah, about to say, was that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going through some things. And I, I kept having flashbacks of that grocery store and them, them packs of hot dogs and bread. He was taking food. And as I was taking it out of his clothes and pulling it all out of his pants, I never thought to look down. 
Mm. I didn't think to look down at what he was taking. It was just, I felt like I was like a hero because I got it. I see. Him. You know? Mm. Wow. So how long have you been uh, at the Boys and Girls Club now? Since 2009. Nine. Yes. After I returned to work, mm-hmm. I was riding around, so I'm not a juvenile officer anymore. Um, I'm really just an officer until I get promoted again. So I'm riding around, and I see this little building, and lights are on, and it's like 7 o'clock at night. And I'm like, I never noticed that building. It's so tiny. Right. You know? Doesn't look like eight kids can fit in that building. So mm-hmm. I decided to stop. I pulled in the little driveway. had a little tiny little driveway. Mm-hmm. And I, I opened the door, and it's like a bell at the top of the door. You know, mm-hmm. it just dings. And uh, it's kids in there. And they're doing stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's kids. Mm-hmm. And they're teenagers. And I'm like, what? I didn't know they here. And the lady is like, yeah, this is the Boys and Girls Club. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. Somebody in trouble? And I'm like, no, nah, I just want to see what they're doing. And they're doing stuff that's positive. Right. They're reading they're um, doing all kinds of stuff. They had a piano in there, right. oldest piano I've ever seen in my life. All right. But I was playing it, and the you kids were, yeah, okay. the kids was like so fascinated. You, you ready to teach them? I was ready to stay there. I never oh. left. Oh. I never left mm. that Boys and Girls Club. I stayed. I was part time, and they allowed me to come in uniform. All right. Also, when I started here in Durham, when I moved, I had to find a club. All right. And uh, I found club in Chapel Hill. We also have a club in Chapel Hill, and I ran my own club in Chapel Hill. All right. And um, also here in Durham, I became one of the directors here for teens and all middle school. Okay. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, we're going to end it right here. You got any more questions? No, nah, it was good stuff, man. To see her life come from just a tough start, to say the least, right. to put it in the mildest terms, yeah. for how you turned it around. But your point being, not by yourself. You didn't know how to turn around, no. but you had the right support system in your life. I did. That, that's, is that the takeaway for us to be that bridge for somebody else? That's the takeaway for the whole entire community, and yeah. I'm currently trying to send that message. Mm-hmm. I did attend um, an event yesterday in Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of churches. So, so right. many churches. Uh, it probably had to be 25 to 30 churches actually came together as right. one and there's an organization giving out grant money in order for these churches to come together and try to save the community. If you take the word help, take it out. I learned that. Take help out of your vocabulary mm-hmm. and replace it with save. Mm-hmm. It changes your mindset. Mm-hmm. And it takes that community. And we need that here in Durham. I'm doing everything it takes. Right. Here in Durham, I did purchase a food truck. I am the owner of Crack and Wild Food Truck, right. which is pretty popular. And I hire all my kids. Only kids run my food truck. They cook your food. They prepare. They take your money. And they give you your food. All right. So you're teaching that kid how to fish then. I am. Mm -hmm. I am. Wow. Well, how can people reach you? You got Instagram. You got uh, Instagram for your food truck? I do. And it's at Crack and Wild. And it's spelled Mm K-R-A-C-K-N-W-O-W. I have um, crab legs. So you crack them and wow, you know. <laughs> yeah, my kids are like, what were you thinking when you named that? <laughs> now, if people want to help with the Boys and Girls Club, how can they reach you? If they want to donate or come Yes. Or Actually, like they can just drop by. We are located at 1010 um, Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway. Mm-hmm. Um, we bought the old Walmart. Right. So we went from over on, I think it was near, over on the other side of South Austin. Mm-hmm. Like Pettigrew? Pettigrew. Mm-hmm. It was Pettigrew Street. Mm-hmm. And it was a small building. Right. And uh, it was a little rough. A little, little 
rough over there. Right. And uh, it was time. Mm-hmm. Time to get something bigger. And uh, at the time, they only had like seven, seven, five or seven teens in there. And they hired me and said, help us. Right. What can you do? We need the numbers. We need the kids and get the kids in it. And you've been there and you've yes. seen what yeah. I've yeah. turned it into. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing to see it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to need a little bit of a budget. Right. Right. <laughs> a little bit of a budget, but I got the kids. And last year, signed up 72 teenagers. Very nice. Yes. If you like what you saw, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the MPL4 podcast.